So the reading tonight is from John 3, 1 to 21. Jesus teaches Nicodemus. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes him is not condemned, But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's just pray together uh, for a moment as we can to look at God's word. Holy Spirit, we welcome you now. We pray you fill this place. Father, we pray that you would speak your truth into the deepest part of our hearts this evening. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel. We thank you for the power of the gospel. And we thank you, Father, that you are concerned about the lost. And you sent your son to die for us, that we would be saved and that we would know you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's great to be with you. My name is Gareth. I'm a church planting minister. Um, there's quite a few of you I probably haven't met, so please do feel free to come and say hi afterwards. But I'd like to start this evening by, as I, was, as I was reflecting on this, something that really struck me when I was thinking about what it means to be born again. It really struck me that 
I can remember a time in church circles where people were more concerned about whether someone was a born-again Christian than rather than them being a nominal Christian. So you might have a person might meet someone who, who says that they're a Christian and, and they would be wanting to know, are you a born-again Christian? You know, they wanted to know whether there was a real Christianity in that person's life. Whereas I think in these modern times, it seems that people are only really interested in what church a person goes to or what worship style they prefer rather than whether a person is truly born again. At least I've certainly noticed a trend where you, you kind of rarely hear people asking, are you a born-again Christian? Are you a true Christian? Are you a, a legit Christian? Have you experienced the new birth? And that's what I want to think about this evening. What does it mean to be born again? And why does it matter? If you want to grab a Bible and turn to John chapter 3, we're going to be there uh, this evening. But before we kind of look at John chapter 3, I just want to go back a few verses. This is a key moment right at the end of John chapter 2. And, and it says in John chapter 2 verse 23, the gospel writer John says, Now he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in a man. So here is the Lord Jesus performing all these great signs and miracles. There's a whole crowd of people watching and and they're amazed by it and they believe that Jesus is a great prophet. They're saying this is a man of God. In fact, maybe this is the Messiah himself. They recognized the power of this. Uh, in front of them, they saw this display of power. But that didn't mean that their hearts were changed. It didn't mean that they were willing to surrender their hearts and lives to Christ. Their faith was based purely, or what they believed in was purely based on seeing visual signs and believing in what they were seeing. If you like, they'd merely observed the miracles and been convinced that this man was no ordinary man, but they hadn't changed in their hearts. There wasn't a change of heart. And I remember back in my previous church in Essex before I came here, uh, there were a couple that used to come along to the evening service. There was this one lady who was a Christian and she kind of dragged her husband along every week. And he'd kind of, he was a lovely guy and he'd sit next to her and just sort of went along with the evening service. And one evening he came forward for prayer and I got quite excited. I thought, wow, maybe this man wants to make a commitment of faith. And he came up to me and said, you know, I've injured my arm really quite badly. Could you pray for, my, for healing for my arm? So I laid hands on his arm, prayed for healing. His arm got miraculously healed there and then. And he was amazed. He's like, wow, that, my, my arm's healed. All the pain's gone. That's amazing. Thank you. And he went away. But his heart wasn't changed. He wasn't born again. He didn't come to faith through it. In many ways, you could say that he wanted healing for his body, but not for his soul. And the road to salvation begins with knowing that there's something badly wrong in your soul and that you can't fix it yourself. And the first thing we do see with Nicodemus is that he's moved to go and find Jesus. He's clearly disturbed in his heart. He's clearly to, to find Jesus because he had some important questions he wanted to ask. 
And there are a great number of people just here in Farnborough, and I bet most of them wouldn't admit it, but many of them will, will stay awake at night, lying in bed, wondering, what if there is an afterlife? You know, some people watch horror films, they watch all kinds of things. You don't know what they're thinking. I remember working in a, in a, in a pub when I was a lot younger. After the pub had closed, everyone was just having a lock-in drinking. You'd be amazed the things people talk about, wondering about the supernatural and all those sorts of things. People will be wondering, how can I get to heaven? How can I get access to God? That's why we're running the Alpha course, because we want to give people the opportunity to bring those questions, those big, important life questions, along so that they can explore them. Now, you could say that the least likely person to have questions about spiritual things would be a very important and highly respected religious leader. But that's exactly who turns up at Jesus' door late one night. Now with Nicodemus, you've got to bear in mind, for everyone else, as far as everyone else is concerned, he was a very impressive man. He was a very influential man. You know, he was part of an elite group of 6,000 spiritual Jewish leaders. He was part of the Sanhedrin, so he was kind of like, like someone who was a cabinet minister or whatever. Outwardly, morally very pure. He was a scholar, a theologian. You know, this is someone who, who had wealth, influence, and social gravitas. In fact, if he turned up at anyone else's door, they'd have been blown away. They'd be like, wow, what have I done to deserve the honor of you visiting me? But this man turns up on Jesus' doorstep and he's riddled with doubt. I'm doing all of this, but am I doing enough? I'm trying to follow the law of God and live up to all these standards, but am I missing something? You know, for all of his clout, for all of his wealth, for all of his influence, and he knew his scriptures, he knew his theology, he knew all of it, but ultimately Nicodemus was unsure of his salvation. Whether he was going to heaven when he died. And it concerned him so much that he went out to find Jesus to ask him those things. I want to ask you this evening are you sure of your salvation? Do you know where you're going to spend eternity when you die? I love how the gospel writer describes Nicodemus going to meet with Jesus at night. And John is so deep and spiritual in his gospel, very clever in the double meaning that he uses when he talks about at night. You see it a bit later on when Judas leaves the presence of Jesus to go off and betray him. And the gospel writer, John, says, immediately Judas went out and it was night. In other words, he's describing not only was it nighttime when Judas went out when they were having supper, but the spiritual state of Judas's soul, that he'd stepped out into spiritual darkness And Nicodemus came to see Jesus at night. To start with, he didn't want his fellow Pharisees seeing him go to visit this controversial young rabbi. But also, it was night in that he was in the dark. You know, when we talk about being in the dark about something, we're talking about a lack of knowledge, a kind of ignorance. I'm in the dark about something. I don't know. And Nicodemus was ignorant of spiritual things. For all of his wealth of knowledge... He was ignorant of spiritual things. And so there he was at night in the dark, as it were. And he comes to Jesus and he introduces himself. And he says, Rabbi, we know you're a special man from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. 
Now just going back a little bit to the end of John chapter 2, as I've already mentioned, there's a whole large group of people and they believed in Jesus because of the signs he was doing. But as it says, Jesus didn't entrust himself to them because he knew what was going on in their hearts. Now Nicodemus was one of those people. That's why the gospel writer mentions it before he introduces Nicodemus. Nicodemus was one of those people who'd seen Jesus perform all those signs. He believed he was someone special, but his heart hadn't been changed. He recognised that Jesus was someone special, but he hadn't been born again. And you know, the greatest danger is anyone from a Christian background can assume that they're a true believer when they're not. So real danger. You can go to church for years and years and years and you assume that you're a Christian when you're actually not. And I can vouch for that myself. I'm 41 years old. My parents literally brought me up in a Baptist church. I was dedicated as a baby in a Baptist church. I've gone to church my whole entire life. I've sat in the congregation like you. I've sung the hymns. I've listened to talks. And I'm talking talks that were like 45 minutes long. You know, I'd sit through all of that. But I didn't get saved till I was 23. All those years, 23 years of going to church thinking I was going to heaven because somehow my attendance would get me in or whatever. The reality was my heart was just as lost as the next pagan. I had no faith. I had no relationship with God. And as I said at the beginning, nowadays, if if someone says that they're a Christian, the very likely question that someone will ask is, you know, what church do you go to? And, and very often people will make an assumption based on what church that person goes to. And you might know someone that goes to that church and go, oh, I know that church, that's a, a really good church, it's got a good reputation, they're, they're a really sound church, they're, they're, they're really strongly evangelical. And so you just assume that person must be a Christian because they go to a church that you know is a good church. But that's purely an assumption. Just because someone goes to an evangelical church and sits in the pew, that does not make them a Christian. The question is, am I born again? Or am I basing my life on the assumption that I'm born again because I have a religious background and I do some religious things? The truth is, Jesus says, and the Bible says, that if you're not born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And one of the main evidences of that is the lack of transformation and spiritual maturity in a person's life. And as a pastor, one of the ways I can tell that someone perhaps isn't, isn't saved is that they've been there for years and yet there's no sign of them actually growing up in the faith and becoming mature in the faith. There's no clear transformation. You cannot grow spiritually if you've not experienced the new birth. That's why the revivalist George Whitfield... And he was preaching in America, and the story goes, and, and this, I think this lady, I think it was, approached him and complained, why do you keep preaching the same sermon? Do you only have one talk? You always preach the same thing, you must be born again. Why? And, and George Whitfield said, because you must be born again. Otherwise, everything I say about God is not going to make any sense to you at all. That's why Jesus doesn't bother with the small talk. He just gets straight to the point, Nicodemus, you can't get to heaven unless you are born again. Now, just to go a bit more theological for a moment, there are a lot of people who confuse justification with sanctification. Justification is when you put your faith in Christ and you're declared righteous, it happens once. Sanctification is the process of the Holy Spirit refining you and making you more like Christ as you go through your life. 
Justification happens once. But many people confuse them. And they think that somehow by their works they're making themselves right with God. And I'll say it's not so much an intellectual mistake, but more of a a mistake of the heart. And all of us can fall into that trap since we're so used to having to win the approval of others in our lives that we often try to relate to God in the same way. And we think, I messed up, I need to do better. And we've missed the whole point that when Christ died on the cross, he died for all your sin. You know, Jesus knew what he was paying for on the cross. He knows about your sin and he died for you. That's what it means to be justified. But at the same time, you cannot earn your way into heaven. You can't appease God with your good works. The only way that you can get right with God is by justification that comes by faith in Christ. Sanctification, that is the good works we do, is the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, not our futile attempts to appease God. And that's where Nicodemus was going so badly wrong. And Jesus knew what he was there for, and he went directly to the bottom line. Nicodemus, your self-righteousness and all that religious effort isn't enough. It won't get you into heaven. You need to be born again. And Nicodemus is pretty shocked by this. You can kind of imagine this just kind of hit him like a train, like he's really had the rug whipped from underneath him. And he realizes, I've got it all wrong all this time. And so he says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? That might sound quite a dumb thing to say, but Nicodemus, you know, he's a smart man. He knows that Jesus is talking metaphorically, but his response is, what do you want me to do? How am I supposed to experience this new birth? How do I start again with God? You can kind of imagine Nicodemus there just having a massive panic attack, thinking, how am I supposed to get right with God? I've tried so hard. I wonder if you're here this evening and that is a question that's resonating deep inside of you. How can I start again with God? How can I get right with him? I've done church all of these years. I've taken part in all the church activities and services. I've volunteered for stuff. But yet, deep down, I don't feel that I know him. I haven't experienced that new birth. I haven't been born again. To quote the American preacher Paul Washer, he says, A lot of people think that Christianity is you doing all the righteous things you hate and avoiding all the wicked things you love in order to go to heaven. No, that's a lost man of religion. A Christian is a person whose heart has been changed. They have new affections. The new birth comes when God removes our heart of stone and puts a heart of flesh in us. Then we're able to see the truth about ourselves who we are and who God is, that we are sinners and that he's a perfect and holy God, which means we're hopelessly lost and we're in great need of a saviour. It's recognising how desperately we need God, coming to him and then receiving his wonderful love and forgiveness. And so Jesus says to Nicodemus in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you. It's like, this is a big deal. Truly, truly, I say to you. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You know what Jesus is talking about here is a miracle. 
He's talking about regeneration. This is a completely new birth that you have absolutely no control over. In the same way as you had absolutely no say in your physical birth, did you? You're just, you're kind of, you're just here. Praise God, but you're just kind of here. You didn't get a say in that. It's exactly the same. You don't get a say in being born again. This is something that God does. Regeneration is something that only God can do. And since it's only possible for the Holy Spirit to bring regeneration, that means that regeneration comes before faith. And that's really important to understand. Regeneration comes before faith. Because it means you essentially you don't have the faith on your own. That faith has to be given to you. God has to have removed the heart of stone and put a heart of flesh in there before you're able to have faith. That's why the Apostle Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That means being a a truly born-again Christian is something only God can do. You do not have the faith in of yourself. You don't have the power or the free will of your own own leanings to, to believe in God. Only God puts that in you. As Jonathan Edwards famously said, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. You can't make a Christian out of anyone. You can't go out and convert anyone as much as you'd like to. Only God can do that. And we're running Alpha, and we really hope people will come along. And we'd really love you to invite people along. But please, more than anything, pray for those people you've invited. Only God can change their hearts. I can remember on one occasion spending about an hour and a half answering all these questions that this man had one evening at an Alpha course. And, and I just, he was the only one who turned up. So I literally just said, well, you just ask all the questions you want. Sat there for an hour and a half answering all these questions. And at the end of it, I said, are you happy with the answers I've given? He said, yeah. I said, well, do you want to experience God for yourself? Do you want to follow Christ and and give your life to him? And he said, no, I'm not interested in any of that. His heart hadn't been changed. And that's why we want to pray for people, that they they would experience that new birth, that their hearts would be changed, that they would be born again. So going back to Nicodemus, and he's really struggling to understand what Jesus is saying. And Jesus says to him, wow, you're the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things. Like, that's quite embarrassing. Like, you're the expert. You know, when I was an ordinand at theological college, there were a whole bunch of people there who didn't know why Jesus had to die. Like, we're talking ordinands. We're talking about people who are going to be vicars in the church and they didn't know why Jesus had to die. That's like week two or three on the Alpha course. We look at that very early on. It comes to something when ordinance in the church need to do an alpha course because they don't know why Jesus had to die. And that's when Nicodemus was. He was utterly clueless. Embarrassing situation where you've got a leader in the, in the church, as it were, who doesn't know. But look how gracious the Lord Jesus is with him. He doesn't cast him away because of his lack of knowledge. He uses an illustration that he would have been very familiar with. When Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... And if you're not familiar with that story, you can find it in Numbers 21. The Israelites, as they tended to, they had spoken out against God and Moses. And the Lord in judgment sent fiery snakes. And these snakes bit the people and many of them started to die. And so they went to Moses and they pleaded with him, stop this, do something. And so Moses comes to God and he prays and God told Moses what to do. He said, make a fiery serpent, attach it to a pole so that anyone who looks at it would live. Now, this is just conjecture, as the book of Numbers doesn't tell us, and I wasn't there, so I I don't really know for sure. But 
I would imagine that there would have been some of those Israelites who saw no point in looking at that fiery snake. They'd have thought, why should I look at that snake? What's the point in doing that? What good is that going to do? I don't see why I should do that. They questioned it. Then they would have died. But the Israelites who were obedient, who looked at the fiery snake that was held up, they were healed and they lived. And in the same way, men and women who are dying in sin are saved by the broken dead body of the Lord Jesus Christ suspended on the cross. A true born-again Christian comes to Christ in faith and obedience. They confess that on a hill there is a cross and on that cross is blood for me. On that cross Christ shed his blood for me, for my sin and my rebellion so that my blood could be, that his blood could wash away my sin and I could be presented holy and blameless before God. A believer comes to the cross of humility, but an unbeliever comes to the cross and says, yes, I know the, I know the narrative that Jesus died for the cross, on the cross for sins and all of that stuff, but what about dinosaurs? What about evolution? What about other world religions? Not that they're actually interested in any of those things, but they just use the tired old narrative of the unbeliever. They want to try and undermine God's salvation rather than humble themselves and believe. They have a heart of stone, not a heart of flesh. And John says in verse 18, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The one who believes in Christ is forgiven and redeemed, but the one who does not believe commits the greatest folly that there is. And they'll have to face judgment and a lost eternity. Now, being born again means the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes to see who you are and who God is, to see your sin and his holiness, your need of his forgiveness and his offer of forgiveness, which you can gratefully receive. And being born again matters because it's the only way that we can enter into the kingdom of God. It's the only way that we can come into relationship with God and to eternal life. I just want to close with a, a story from uh, when I first uh, started in ministry, uh, the beginning of my curacy. And I remember one, one Sunday I was speaking like this in the church there. And I um, hadn't been there very long, only a few months I think. And after I finished the sermon or whatever, I, at the end of the service this, this lady came up to me and she was really upset by what I'd said. And and she said, I can't believe the vicar lets you loose on a congregation. I can't believe they'd let you stand up there and say all that kind of stuff. Like, she was really angry and upset. And, and I remember being pretty offended, you know, and actually exposed quite a bit of immaturity and, and pride in me at, at the same time. But I went away and thought, what's the point? Anyway, about a year later, I was back in that church again, speaking on this very passage from John chapter 3, You Must Be Born Again. And this lady, she came up to me under the, after service, and you can imagine, I'm thinking, oh no, here we go again. I'm not really in the mood for an argument, you know, I, I don't know what I've done wrong this time. She walked up to me and she said to me, why is it whenever you're speaking, I feel like God is having a go at me? That's kind of not what you want to, you know, want to hear. You think, I don't want to feel like, you know, I'm having a go at you. But I said to her, I don't think God's having a go at you, but maybe he wants to say something to you. And so she said to me, how can I be born again? I want to be born again. 
And so I asked her, do you want me to pray with you? And she said, yes. So I prayed with her just at the back of the church. And she committed her life to Christ. And she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and she was overwhelmed, so overwhelmed with the love and the forgiveness of God. She was, it was amazing to see how she changed in that moment. And then she went off a short while later and got confirmed and baptized. She was born again. And the Holy Spirit is at work in her heart. And I'm just asking this evening, I'm not asking are you perfect. I'm not asking if you got it all together, are you this paragon of virtue. But I'm just asking, do you know the Lord Jesus this evening? Do you know him personally? Have you surrendered your life to him fully? Do you love him? Do you follow him? When you read your Bible, does God speak right into your soul? Do you hear the words of the Saviour when you read your Bible? When you pray, do you meet with God? When you worship, do you meet with him? And in your heart, do you love him and want to follow him and please him? None of us are going to be perfect until we're in glory. But all of us, if we are saved, want to please God. We want to follow him. And so the question today is, are you born again? I know many of us are, but maybe some of us aren't sure. Maybe we're watching online now and we're not sure. And I just want to lead us in a prayer as, as the band comes back to lead us in another time of song worship. I just want to just invite the Holy Spirit now for a moment as we come to a time of prayer. And if you're here this evening, whether you're watching online or you're just here this evening, and you're not sure, maybe you just walked in this evening for the first time, maybe you've been away from church for a while, maybe you've been coming for church for years like I was, just years and years, and yet you're not born again. And this evening, you just feel the Holy Spirit kind of tugging on your heart and calling you to follow him. And if that's you, then just come to the Lord and tell him you're sorry for all the ways that you've, you've let him down, for all those years that you've tried to do it on your own and in your own strength. And just say, Lord Jesus, please come into my heart and into my life. I want to follow you. I'm so sorry I've made such a mess of my life and there's so I'm ashamed of. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died for me and that you knew what you were paying for when you went to the cross. And you saw me when I was at my worst, when I was at my most unlovable, when I failed you so badly and you sent your son to die for me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died for me. And Holy Spirit, just, I pray you'd come into my life and fill me now and help me to follow you. So come, Holy Spirit, fill us anew. We pray now, Lord, as, as, we, as we sit here, we pray, Lord, that you would fill our hearts anew, that you'd refresh our hearts, we'd be, you'd be stirring that passion in us for you again. Father, we pray that we'd be a people that are filled with your Spirit, that we are born again, that we know you, that we love you, that we follow you. On the hill, on the hill there is a cross, and on that cross is blood for me. I have no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Amen.